No, you don't have it. Don't don't have it. Yeah, there. Power and authority, our divine ability to perform God's works in the earth. So we're starting this this series here. Um, I did one a couple weeks ago that was an overview. And then last week we dealt with this one called prayer, our divine ability to change the earth. And that prayer is powerful. Prayer is something that God's given us. He's given us intimacy in prayer. We can come to him as our father, our father which art in heaven. We can come to him as his children and we have this intimacy with God that he allows us to have with 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 prayer and then he tells us to be warriors he says put on the full armor of god that we can stand against all the works of the uh, of the devil and one of those is uh after he talks about that it's praying in the spirit and so he says put on my full armor that's why i'm talking about divine ability because it's something god gives us it's not something we do in our own strength or own ability then we talked about um God giving us direction and the power and the encouragement that we get from speaking in tongues and that we speak directly to God and all those different things. So we want to um, be able to do that. And then the power of speaking in tongues that when we pray in, in the Spirit, we always hit direct targets. It's a bullseye, direct center every single time because the Spirit of God's helping us in our, through our spirit pray prayers that are effective and powerful. And so we talked about that. But here's the thing. Prayer is not enough. Prayer's not enough. Because if we just pray, then some things are left undone. And that's what we're going to look at today is this week it's authority and power our divine ability to perform God's work on the earth. And we're going to see how God's given us power and authority to continue his work. And we're going to see that as we go. So let me ask this question. Here's an easy one. So why why did Jesus come? Well, you know, there's probably at least 21 verses that talk about why Jesus came. We're not going to look at all of them because a portion of them have to do with something that only he could do, which is die for our sins, right? He came to be our Savior. He came to die on the cross. He came for those reasons. But we want to wipe that out of our minds right now because we want to focus on the things that he wants us to do and he's called us to do. And he said he came for those very reasons. And so I'm just going to look at those. We're not going to make this huge, but we're going to look at some of the passages of Scripture that tell us what Jesus came to do. So the first thing that he came to do is to do God's will. Jesus said this over and over in many different ways. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he's saying, this is why I came. I came for this purpose. But that's not the only one. In John 1.18, Jesus came to reveal the Father. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. In other translations says that, that he's revealed him and shown him. When we see Jesus, 
we see the heart of the Father. When we, when we see Jesus do whatever he did, healing the sick, casting out demons, doing all these different things, then we see the heart of the Father in action. Jesus came so that we could see the invisible God. Okay? And so that was one reason he came. God sent him for that purpose. And then Jesus said this uh, in Mark ten forty five. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so Jesus came to be a servant. And if you look in the Old Testament, you see over and over again uh, in the book of Isaiah talking about the servant, his suffering servant, and that he's the Son of Man and he came to serve. And so Jesus came to be a servant to us. It's just amazing. He did everything he did for us. He did it to respond to the Father, but he did it for us. So we have that. Then Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Isn't it kind of funny? He's telling us all the things he came for. He came to seek and save the lost. And of course, we know that, that he's our Savior. He's the Savior of the world. And so he came for the lost. He didn't come to judge or condemn. It says that in uh, John chapter 3, verse 17, 16 and 17. It says, for, for he didn't come to condemn the world or judge the world, but I came to save it. So he did come to do that. But he came to seek and save the lost, which is something we can do. Then in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he gives us his ministry. He tells us what it is, and that was a prophetic word that came out of the book of Isaiah chapter 61. And so he shows us five things that he came to do. He says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to do these things. So he says, To preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to captives, those that word captives means prisoner of war, set, set those free who've been held in captivity, recovery of sight to the blind, that has to do with spiritual, I think even physical uh, blindness, to set free those who are oppressed, those who are crushed under, those who are weighed down. And he says to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that idea of the favorable year of the Lord is that it's here now. And what did he preach wherever he went? He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's now. It's right now. The acceptable, favorable thing that God wants to do in your life is available here. It's available now. And so that's one of the reasons he came. And I'm going to share two more. One of them is in Acts 10.38. This is kind of a summary that Peter gives of Jesus' ministry and what he did. So in in Acts 10.38, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now I want you to see that that's really important, is that he went to, when when he's talking about the oppressed, he's talking about the oppressed of the devil. But he's also talking, you know, men oppress men, and governments oppress people, and all these kind of things. But there's a demonic force behind that. Remember, it says we're not fighting against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, powers, and rulers. And so when we see things that aren't of God's kingdom, he, Jesus has come to bring his life and his abundance and to heal. To do good means to do what's right in God's eyes, what he considers good. And then it also means those who are oppressed by the devil. And so this last one in 1 John 3.18 is one of my faves in this portion. You know, I've got a hundred favorites, thousands probably. But uh, in each topic, there's favorite ones that I have. And this one says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the enemy, right? The works of the devil. He came to absolutely destroy. And that word isn't like a violent destruction, crushing kind of a thing. It's to make of no effect. So that, for example, how how does that work? All right, if I have sickness in my body and Jesus makes no effects of the, the works of the devil, he brings healing. If there's a person that is tormented by a demon and he comes and he destroys the work of the enemy, he releases that person from the enemy and frees them and makes them whole. And so we see him doing these things and, and moving in, in his power and in his might. So I'm setting this up so that I can get to what we're going to talk about today, which is this power and authority, our divine ability to perform God's work on the earth. And so after his resurrection, remember Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he destroyed the works of the enemy. He actually, it says he led captivity captive, which is those who were, were um, in Abraham's bosom. You remember how that is, that parable that talks about it. There's a place for the righteous and there was a place for the unrighteous. The righteous ones were called the Abraham's bosom was the place where the righteous went to await because they couldn't enter into heaven because the blood of Jesus hadn't been shed yet. And so when he shed his blood, he went and he sprinkled it on the altar in heaven. And then it says he, he led captivity captive, those who were held there. They're in the presence of the Lord and they're before him and with him. And... Uh, and so that's an important thing to think about. But after his resurrection now, he, he comes back. And, and the book of Acts tells us that Jesus spent 40 days appearing at different times to the disciples. He'd appear to small groups. He appeared to two on the road walking to Emmaus. He appeared to the, the 10 disciples without Thomas. Remember Thomas? He wasn't there. And he says, well, I'm not believing it unless I can stick my finger in his hands and in his side and... You know, because he felt left out. I'm sure he did. You know, they call him Doubting Thomas, and they pick pick on him. And Jesus did say, why did you doubt? You know, he did rebuke him a little for, for why did you doubt? And um, <clears throat> so, so he comes to these different ones. He came to 500 at one time, it says in, in the book of Corinthians. And individual people during these 40 days. So... Right before he leaves, he gives some instructions, and that's what has to do with us today. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to send them out. And he says this, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
So he's saying, basically saying the things that the Father sent me to do and to accomplish on this earth, of course, not the Savior part, but the things that I've done and accomplished, he's, I'm sending you. Just like he sent me, I'm sending you. And then he says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, it says, And Jesus came up and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He says, all authority. In other words, when he went to the cross, when he said it's finished, when he broke the power of the enemy, it says that he is the one who has all things. And the scripture talks about how his name is highly exalted above all names. So in other words, when he purchased when he purchased us with his blood, when he purchased this world, he took that authority in that place. All authority is under him. And so he says that. So he says, all authority is given to me. Go, therefore. So he says, I have this authority. I'm giving you authority now to go. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Now get this, he's saying, go, but I'm going to be with you. Again, here's our divine help. God is always with us. When he calls us to do something, he equips us. When he gives us something to do, he makes sure that he is with us. It was one of those fun things like Moses. Remember Moses? I can't talk. You know, we always can have excuses of why we can't do it. And God knows that. He understands our weaknesses. He knows who we are. But guess what he says every single time? I will be with you. He tells Moses specifically, I'll be with your mouth. I'm going to put the words in your mouth, and all you have to do is speak them. And so God promises to be with us, his divine help, his divine power, as we go and do the work that he's asked us to do. Now, if we understand this, and we look at this in in uh the way the scripture reveals it, what we're doing as the church, as the body of Christ, is we're doing the continuing mission of Jesus. What his mission was to do on the earth, the things that we read, those things are the things that God's called us to do. So what's authority? It's always a good question. He gives us authority and power. So what's authority? The word in the New Testament is exousia. And, or some people say exousia, but it's exousia, the way I pronounce it. Meaning rightful, actual, and unimpeded power to act, to possess, control, to use, or dispose of something or somebody. Now, the authority that God gives us is never to rule and crush over people. There is obviously authority structures that he gives. He gives parents in the home. They have authority over children. Uh, he gives pastors. They, they're soup, they're, the authority he gives them is to be shepherds over his flock, basically, and not to rule and reign. He says, don't be harsh, don't be mean, don't do all these kind of things. Don't do it for dishonest greed and gain and all that kind of stuff. But do this 
and minister to people. And so there's authority that's there. There's authority that's, that he gives to government officials to rule and those kind of things. All authority actually comes from God. But authority can be misused. But here's what it says in, in Luke ten nineteen. I want us to get this in our heart. He says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will injure you. He's saying, I'm giving you authority over the demonic realm. And I'm giving it in my name. And, and when you stand in the strength of the Lord and you fight the enemy, he has to flee, he has to leave, and he cannot win and conquer. And actually, Jesus gives us assurances. You know, he's used Paul to write, Who, what shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall persecution, tri- tribulation, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of these things? He says, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. And so even if people imprison us and torture us like we were praying for those who are tormented and tortured, they can't take a person's soul. They can't separate them from Christ no matter what they do. And so we have to understand that he's given us authority. And people misuse his authority all the time. And that's why we have such struggles with these things, is because of that misused power. But then Jesus says, you know what? Authority is not just enough. We need power. Authority is not just enough. Someone gives you authority to do something, you have to be able to do it. Right, You have to be able to perform the thing that you've been given authority to do. And this is where it really becomes important. In Luke chapter 24, verse, verse 47, again, this is Jesus after the resurrection speaking to the disciples after he's told them that they're going to go. He, he's, he says, before you go, um, he says, I'm sending you forth the promise of, of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I like how he says that. He says you wait until you're clothed with power. We know what clothing means. You, you put it on. That what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life, the Father wants to pour the Holy Spirit out on us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he wants to give us a clothing, a power, so that we have ability to do what he's asked us to do. We have ability to love those who are unlovable. We have the ability to stand against the devil and he'll flee from us. We have the ability to walk in his anointing. And so it says that this power is from on high. So it comes directly from God. And Acts eight says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right? It doesn't say anything about moving in us. The Holy Spirit is upon us. And there's an anointing that he gives. And he says, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And just so you don't think I'm kind of making making it up that he's talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, right before verse 8, he says, 
gathering these guys together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Remember in Luke, he said, wait for the Father's promise. He says, which he said, you heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so he says, that's what's going to happen. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And baptism is what? It symbolizes being submerged. So there's lots of pictures for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, clothed with power, submerged, baptized underneath the water. Just like Sarah got baptized today, she had to probably get under some water to have that happen. And so so we're looking at this and so then what, what does power mean? We have authority, which means we have the right to do things. That's, that's the simplest one I just use, that Jesus gives us the right to do stuff in his name. That's really what authority means. Power is the ability to do things by virtue of strength, skill, resources, and authorization. It kind of covers that authority part, authorization. But we have power to do it because we've been authorized. So when what God wants to do is he wants to pour his Holy Spirit out on us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we'll be empowered to do his works on the earth. If we look at what took place in Jesus' life, I don't have this in, in the notes up here or, or anything, but if we look at what happened to his life, remember when he was, he was baptized in the water, says the Holy Spirit came upon him and rested on him, came upon him. So there are some people who confuse this, and I want to just help us because maybe you're thinking the same thing. When we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, it says we're born again. That means our spirit comes alive. We're a new creation in Christ, something that did not exist before. Our spirit was dead. Now we're alive. We're new people, new creatures in Christ. And being new creatures in Christ is an internal thing that he's done in our spirit to make us alive, and that affects every part of our life. And some people say, well, that that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not. Because Jesus says you must wait for it. Well, the disciples, you know, if we want to look at this, people say this too. The disciples, they, they didn't get the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost. Ten days after Jesus went, went back to heaven. They didn't get it then. They weren't really saved like we consider it. But you know what? The Bible's really interesting. And in John chapter 20, Jesus does something to the disciples that, that is amazing. Remember in the garden that, where he was buried, in the place he was buried, um, after his crucifixion, Mary Magdalene came. And she thought that when Jesus came to her, that it was the gardener. Do you remember that story? And so she's going, where, where'd you lay his body? And he said, Mary, and then she saw that it was him, and it said she clung to him. And Jesus said, don't cling to me because I haven't been to the Father yet. And what he was going to do is when he went to the Father, when he ascended, he was going to go and sprinkle that blood and cleanse everyone. The problem is we couldn't receive the Holy Spirit in us because of our sin and the deadness of our, 
of ourselves. And so he had to go and pay the penalty and the price, sprinkle that blood on the altar. So when he came back in John chapter 20, um, in verse 20 through 22, no, just 22. So he's sending them out. Remember, we already went over that verse. He says, I'm going to send you out just as the Father sent me. I'm sending you. The very next verse, he says this. And when he had said that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this took some place, some took place sometime in those first 40 days after the resurrection, but before the day of Pentecost. And if you remember, can, can you even imagine this picture? This picture comes right out of the book of Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so here's Jesus. He's doing the same thing. It's really interesting. These ones who were spiritually dead, now he says, receive the Spirit. And they become spiritually alive. But later, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so on the day of Pentecost, was not salvation being poured out to believers but an empowering of the church to perform God's works in the earth. Remember, Jesus says, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. You're going to be able to go forth in my power and do things that you couldn't do on your own, in your own ability. And so what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter, who, you know, all of them had been hiding. They're afraid for their lives. They're afraid for everything that's going to happen. But now... Peter stands up, and it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to speak, and he says, you know, what's happened here, this outpouring on the day of Pentecost where the tongues of fire were speaking in different tongues, and the people were hearing all of these things about God in their own languages. They were drawn by the noise of the wind, sound of the wind, and they came, and they were just amazed. And Peter begins to preach and says, this is the promise. This is the promise. And Jesus said, remember the promise of the Father? He says, this is it. God's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh, upon all mankind, the young and the old, male and female, slaves and, and free people. He's pouring out his Holy Spirit upon everyone, and this is coming, and this is available to us. And then he preached, and the people's hearts, it says, were pricked. And they said, what do we need to do to get saved? And he told them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, that gift of the Holy Spirit is the promise. The whole baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise that, that's given to us. It's also called a gift because it's something that we can't earn. And so he tells them to do these things. And then the next thing you see in Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John. They're just going to prayer, and all of a sudden they see this guy that's lame. And he's, he's laying by the beautiful gate, and so they come up to him, and the guy looks at him, and he must have saw that there was something in him, or the Lord just showed him, told him to do it. He says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. 
the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He grabbed the guy's hand and it said strength came into his ankles and he was walking and leaping and praising God. So we see instantly the, the power of this work, you know, that, that's, that's going on and we see it throughout the book of Acts and, and hear some things throughout um, the rest of the scriptures. And so here's where we're at. And here's what we're authorized to do. And what I want to encourage us, that as people, you know, we, we need to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit if we haven't had it. And if we've had it, it's not just an event that happens in the past. I remember when I, this has happened so many years ago, but it just stuck in my brain and it, it was just amazing to me. So I was in Bible college and we're preaching different places. So we're going, you know, we had preaching teams, so we'd go to churches and we'd have some singers with us and we'd, you know, have, they'd sing and then some of us would get up and preach and we'd, we'd just hold the services, you know, and we'd, we'd go. And so we went into this, this uh, church that this guy was pastoring that was going to the college. And so I went there and then, they had a testimony time. Say, it's testimony time. And so people would just stand up and they would just do this. I thank God that I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they'd say, what year? 35 years ago. And then they'd sit down and the next person would stand up. I thank God that I was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit 25 years ago. You know, and it was all older people. And that's what it was, 25, 30, 35 years ago. The reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't so we can speak in tongues. It's one of the benefits that comes and flows out of it. It's so that we can be endued with power to live the life that God's asked us to live and to do the work, to be his witnesses. So what's a witness? A witness is one who has seen something or experienced something and they're proclaiming it. And so we say, well... How about for us? We've never seen Jesus. Uh, has anybody? I mean, it's happened. But it says, blessed are those who, who don't see but believe. We've experienced the life of Christ. We've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can testify and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the one behind it. He's the one. We, we are witnesses. And as we go and we do the works that God's called us to do, God's glorified and people are drawn to Jesus. You see, it's a little different for us, just slightly different. And you'll see this as, as we go through this list of things as we, as we close our time here. We're authorized and, in, and empowered to do the following things. First one is to do the will of Jesus, which actually is the will of the Father. But remember, he's the one sending us. He's the one authorizing us. Just as he went for the Father, we go for the Son. And when we glorify the Son, the Father is glorified. They're connected. But if you think about it, Jesus says, I'm sending you. So he's, he's our chief sender instead of the Father. Jesus is sending us. And so we go in his name. And what do we do? Our purpose is to reveal Jesus. Why is that? I, I was thinking about this, you know. Jesus says, I've come to reveal the Father. And, and of course, 
he talks about how he's the savior. He's, you know, he's the door of the sheep. He's the one who's the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. He speaks all those things. So why now does our focus come and not just say the word God, but Jesus Christ? Because the scripture tells us that there's salvation in only one name, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died, paid the penalty for the sins of the world, and so people must come to Jesus. And so, you know, some say, well, why do we lift up Jesus so much? How about the Father? Well, we, we recognize the Father and we love the Father. There's the Son and the Holy Spirit. We recognize all of them. But right now, our goal is to glorify the name of Jesus, to point people to Jesus Christ so they can be saved and come into a relationship with the Father. That's the whole goal of it. But they can't be saved apart from Jesus. Don't even kid yourself from a moment. Somebody can say, oh, I love God, I love God, I love God, and then you say the name Jesus and they get ticked. They don't love God. Jesus said it himself, if you don't love me, you don't love the Father. If you reject me, you reject the Father. And so that's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ is the central figure and our goal is to be witnesses of him. We're to bear witness of him. He says, I've given you authority to be my witnesses, his witnesses for him, so that people can come to the Father, because Jesus wants us to fulfill his mission and purpose, and he tells us to do it in his name. So he's given us the authority and the ability to do it, and he wants us to serve others. And these, are, these are just going over what Jesus did. He wants us to serve others. He wants us to be servants, because he knows that that's where the power of, of his life flows, is through servanthood. He wants us to seek and save those who are lost and seek to bring them into, into the kingdom of God. He wants us to preach the gospel. Now, here's the funny thing. All of us are to preach the gospel. It really doesn't matter. It's not, see, we, we've confused things. I'm a preacher. So, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. Well, listen, all of us are to proclaim who he is. All of us are to speak forth the message. All of us are to communicate who Christ is. There's not one of us that are are left off. He didn't say, I've called all pastors to be witnesses. He says, all of you, all of you, I've given you authority to go and to preach the gospel, to make disciples of nations. So we have that authority to proclaim release to the captives, those who are in prison to things that are opposed to what God says is truth. We can speak life to them and help them get set free from their captivity and bondages that hold them. We can heal the sick and minister his life to people. We can do uh, good and free those who are oppressed by the devil He's given us all power and authority over the enemy so that we can do this and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. We can, t- we can honestly say that just as in Jesus' day, this is the favorable year of the Lord. This is the time when God wants to move. This is the time where he wants to, you to experience all the fullness of his life and then for us to destroy the works of the enemy wherever we see them. We can pray like we talked about last week, and we can do. We can combine those things because they're both important. It's not either or, it's both and. We have to do both. 
And so this is what the, one, one of the purposes for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to clothe us with power so that we can walk out what God wants for our personal lives, but so that we can be empowered to help others and bring his life and his abundance. And so, so this, is, this is what it's about. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't, praise God, I was filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues 25 years ago. That's not what it's about. It's praise God, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'm here right now, ready to do the work that he has for me to do, ready to lay my hands on the sick, ready to believe with others, ready to, to share the gospel with someone, all these different things. And so I'm going to end us with, with this thought, that we don't just model our lives after Jesus as some nice principle. See, we don't just follow his example. Oh, what would Jesus do? I know there's this whole book and all this stuff, but there's more than just what would Jesus do. We really need to see what he's doing now. Not just think through the scripture and say, hmm, I wonder what Jesus would do in this situation. But I think what we need to hear is what the Father's doing and what Jesus desires for us to do. And... um, that really becomes important. It's not just a principles that we live by. We're actually empowered to do the very works that Jesus did. And Jesus proves it. He tells us we're going to do greater works than he did. He tells us that. Greater things shall you do. And why was that? He says, because I'm going to the Father. He's going to release the Holy Spirit on your life. You're going to be clothed with power. You're going to be empowered to do the very things that I'm doing right now and even greater works. And people debate that. Well, what can be greater than what Jesus did? Well, if you think about it, one way of being greater is spread throughout the whole entire world. The gospel, I mean, people are hearing the gospel and being set free all across the world. Jesus was in a little, teeny, tiny sliver of the world. So greater things. But I don't think it's just that. He wants us to do the things that he did, maybe even in greater number, because he was such a limited time frame. He only had three years. We have more. Well, we never know. Somebody can accept Jesus right before they take their last breath and still be saved. But I think the other thing is he wants us to believe that we can do these things. And he's empowered us to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, there you go. Wahoo. That's a, that's a calm wahoo. How's that? He's empowered us.